around, I get around. I get around. Yeah, round, round, I get around. Round, 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 I get around. I don't even know the words there, but neither do I. I didn't even try. I'm glad you jumped in. I get in. sick of driving up and down the same old street. I gotta find a new place where the kids are hip. My buddies and me were getting real well known. Well, the bad guys know us and they leave us alone. I get around. I'm from town. I'm a local hound. And I forget this lyric. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Have you seen the Tina documentary on HBO? No. It, it's actually pretty good. I, I would give it a I would give it a watch. Okay. okay. And speaking of uh, things on TV, this week we are covering the Best Picture winner in the Heat of the Night, which in the late 80s got a TV adaptation starring Carol O'Connor, uh, best known as Archie Bunker. And uh, we thought we would discuss films that we would love to see made into movies, especially in this time where we're seeing more Star Wars and Marvel shows being put on Disney Plus uh, and other streaming services doing their own adaptations and whatnot. What, there's a Clarice show on like <laughs> CBS now? God. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, who would like to start and tell us what films you would like to see turned into a TV show? Zach, go ahead. <laughs> I've got I'm a confident. Laundry. Okay. I've got a laundry list of things. I'll try to go oh through them a little fast. Okay. Um, so I'll get these out of the way early. Because, uh, you know, Harry Potter's everywhere. But Caitlin and I talk sometimes. And it'd be interesting to see a, like, the Marauder years. Uh, you know, the Harry's dad and Sirius and all them. Like, their okay. years at school. That might be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, or I'd want to see that. But I really don't want any more redemption for Snape. That guy can go fuck himself. Fair, Fair enough. enough. Yeah. And then um, like a sequel with the horror years with Harry grown up and stuff. Um, like set in the cursed child era. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. Um, something X-Men related, you know, given the treatment like Mandalorian style, you know, a, a good, yeah. a good X-Men show. That's obviously not animated because there's plenty of good X-Men shows. Um, a Kill Bill Origins movie, maybe? You know, the, the Kill Bill story I would want to see adapted into a TV show is um, Vivica A. Fox's child getting her revenge on the bride. Ooh. I want to see that. Hell yeah. I also have uh, Children of Men. I think that would make an interesting adaptation. Ooh. Fucking good. <laughs> that's a I actually have answer. one that's Jeez. kind of tied to that sort of. Okay. Excited. That kind of beats mine. Now that we have a movie, uh, I think The Dark Tower could be. And that was supposed to be. Yeah. yeah, but they fucked up the movie so bad. So. <laughs> yeah, which is a real shame because that's a waste of Idris Elba and uh, Matthew McConaughey in the midst of his reconnaissance. Right. So I think I got three more things here. Uh, maybe maybe Blade Runner. I'm not sure it, it, if you could do Blade Runner with the pacing of it. It, it could be. I could see a good limited series based off Blade Runner, but I'd want to see it uh, after 2049. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then blanket statement, any uh, fantasy uh, series of books that's been adapted into a crappy movie, that if it's a really good book series, like what comes to mind is maybe uh, the the Aragog or Ar Aragon. 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 Or like the Earthsea yeah. books. 
Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say those. a la the Golden Compass on HBO. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, oh. And then I have two technicalities. Um, since there is a movie, I'd love to see a Final Fantasy VII anime. I mean, I know they're doing everything. Uh, just a, 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 a well-done anime. Just one uh, series it off. Don't drag it out. And then like this maybe is... Maybe <laughs> a Zack anime. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Then my last thing is, it's not even a movie yet, but I, I hope they make Horizon Zero Dawn into a TV show. Gotta get you just want it. the hot redhead chick. I, I do, I do, but I love the story too. So He's he's a simple okay. man with simple taste. Yum. Simp being the major <laughs> Okay, I'm done. Well done, sir. I enjoyed those. Thank you. Um, so mine are all... The only reason... I, I like it when the movie wraps up the characters... And if you get a TV show, you don't get those characters other than like small fan service moments. So when I get a movie into a TV show, I want to see an expansion of the world. Right. So I went with three movies that I'd love to see an expanded world of. One being Legend. I feel like yeah. that would be a really oh. cool Ooh. show to make like an expanded world on. Yeah, I got, I got, some, I got some fantasy in mind too. So um, My number two is actually kind of, that kind of took in a weird way. Okay. I went with Fortress. Okay. Because it's the same concept in a way, except you can only have but like one kid, and that's why they got like I want to see like that world get created. Okay. Nice. Um, so it's it's kind of the opposite, really, of Zach. Uh, the third one is Titan AE. Ooh. Ooh. I feel like that one is something that deserves. Like, first off, I just need more eyes on Titan AE so that we can maybe at the very least get another movie out of that. But again, I think an expanded universe would be awesome. Nice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what I got. Cool. All right. Uh, I have three answers, and they're all from the exact same director. <laughs> of course. They <laughs> <laughs> they're all from Terry Gilliam. Oh. And more, of course, they are. <laughs> and, and this kind of got sparked by me and Jonathan talking about how much I am disappointed in the show Loki mm. and how I felt the first half of the first episode kind of sold me on loki being set in terry gilliam's brazil mm -hmm. so i thought you know what why don't we just do a brazil tv series and then i won't be as disappointed anymore hell yeah because nice. i love mundanity and bureaucracy and fantasy yeah because that's a lot of fun and uh one of his other great fantasy works that i would love to see expanded and done like uh like a british six episode series every season uh would be time bandits yeah <laughs> and let's let's just have a lot of fun with time bandits maybe have a uh, noah holly who does legion and fargo run that because that could be fun yeah or maybe even damon lindelof who made the very perfect one season of watchmen mm. yep uh, and then the final one is uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, because who doesn't want to just watch uh, Hunter S. Thompson do a bunch of drugs and get into a lot of trouble? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yes, I never, it reminds me, I never caught the 12 Monkeys show. Uh, I haven't either. I, I forgot it was a thing. Yeah. I, I wanted to get on it, and it was another one of those Parks and Rec situations where I just kind of missed the first season and then never doubled back around to it. Uh, but I'll probably get to it before I get to Park and Rec. That's fair. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about a movie. Let's talk about a movie.
hello, all you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Jonathan Pierce. And I'm Zach McCoy. And we are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscar Worsty Podcast, a show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong, and what film are we watching this week. Today, we're talking about In the Heat of the Night, a story of a black cop stuck in Hicktown, USA, as he tries to solve a murder. 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 Is this everybody's first time? Yes. No. No as well. Zach, would you like to regale us with your first time seeing this film? Sure. So, um, I'll start by saying my my parents frequently watched the show, so I had a lot of exposure to the show before I ever saw the movie. Um, but I found the movie at a Hollywood video here in Newport News. Oh. Uh, so claimed that, took it home, and I watched it for the first time only a couple of years ago when I was trying to watch some of the best pictures I hadn't seen yet. So that was nice. my first time. How about you? Uh, this was part of my 2006, 2005. I can never remember what year I actually started it in. Uh, uh, AFI watch. So because it was number 75 on that list. All right. Uh, I guess we'll jump into an Oscar breakdown. It is a mournful April 10th, 1968. We are six days removed from the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Our ceremony was supposed to take place on April 8th. uh, And they postponed it for two days to give tribute to the man who had done so much for this country. And uh, many are the four black presenters... Uh, Sidney Poitier, Sammy Davis Jr., Louis Armstrong, and Diane Carroll. Uh, all were not going to attend the ceremony, but when they postponed it by two days, they were able to make it. It is a very sad evening indeed. Yeah. Now on to the more positive stuff. Uh, our most nominated films on the evening are Bonnie and Clyde and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner at 10 apiece. And our most decorated film of the evening is in the heat of the night at five. Nice. Okay. Of course, we start with best picture in the heat of the night beats out Bonnie and Clyde, Dr. Doolittle, The Graduate, and guess who's coming to dinner. Mm. Uh, Mike Nichols beats out Norman Jewison for best director. Uh, Jewison, the director of in the heat of the night, Mike Nichols, the director of The Graduate. The Graduate being only Mike Nichols' second film, and his second nomination. Yeah. Second best picture Thanks. nomination, too. Yeah, yeah. second best direct. Yeah. So, so he is there in those top two categories, just representing all over the place. After having a wildly successful comedy career with uh, other famed director, uh, May. Oh, man, her name just fell straight out of my head. Elaine May, uh, hey. director of everybody's favorite film, Ishtar. <laughs> which I watched this year and is delightful. Wow. If you've never seen Ishtar, the Ishtar. I haven't. I only know the jokes. Well, those jokes are not well-deserved. Okay. The movie is a mess, but it's, it's delightful. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, Elaine May and Mike Nichols were a comedy duo together <laughs> in the 1960s and won Grammys as a, as a comedy duo for their <laughs> albums. Uh, and then they, at the top of their game, they were just like, you know what? Let's stop doing this. <laughs> Time to get serious. So she moves on and 
he goes to Broadway and starts directing on Broadway, wins Tony's. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wins Tony's for directing uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And then <laughs> he says, you know what? Let's start directing film. And then starts winning Oscars. The man just doesn't know how to be how to not be successful. It's right. the most wild thing in the world. <laughs> We're going to get to talk about him a lot for the next few decades, too. So Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm so happy. I, I can't wait to watch a lot. A lot of his films, because he's a director I've always really loved. Yeah. Uh, and The Graduate's pretty much close to perfect. It's so good. All right. Moving on, Best Actor goes to Rod Steiger, playing Police Chief Bill Gillespie in the, in the Heat of the Night. Uh, Spencer Tracy is nominated posthumously for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. He and his beautiful widow, Catherine Hepburn, are not in attendance, of course, he being dead, and she is off uh, filming Lion in Winter. Okay. They are the only two actors uh, in all four categories that are not in attendance. Uh, and speaking of the beautiful Catherine Hepburn, she wins Best Actress for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Spencer Tracy, what was like 12 days after they finished rapping that he passed away? For- yeah. yeah. And it's, it's real sad because... I was thinking about that while I was watching the movie. And then he has a line like near the end of the movie. He's like, I could live to be 110. Like, oh, oh man, that's so depressing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, the great George Kennedy wins Best Supporting Actor for Cool Hand Luke. Most of you probably know George Kennedy as Lieutenant Frank Drebin's partner in the Naked Gun films. Estelle Parsons wins Best Supporting Actress for Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, Best story and screenplay written directly for the screen goes to Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Best screenplay based on material of another medium uh, goes to In the Heat of the Night. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner wasn't a play first? No. Though it I feels do, like something that would have been a play first. Though I do believe it, they, it gets a Broadway adaptation after this. Sure. Makes mm. sense. Uh, best foreign language film goes to Closely Watched Trains from Czechoslovakia. Uh, Best Documentary Feature goes to The Anderson Platoon. Best Documentary Short Subject goes to The Redwoods. Best Live Action Short Subject goes to A Place to Stand. And our Best Short Subject Cartoons would normally bring us to our podcast within a podcast, but it does not tonight. Mm. Uh, It goes to The Box. Oh, fuck. The Box. What's in it? Yeah. You know, I I wasn't going to swing at the low-hanging fruit, but... (laughs) Oh, I'm glad somebody did. Yep. I'm like a ska song over here. I'll pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Helena is in the box. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Instead, gentlemen, I have some exciting news. Yeah. Oh, we're starting a new podcast within a podcast. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to John Williams Oscar Watch. Yes. John Williams, nominated for his first Oscar in 1967. Damn. For Valley of the Dolls, which, unfortunately, he loses to Camelot. Uh, And its best original song score or adaptation score is the name of the category. Wow. So I hope you enjoy our journey through John Williams' Oscar watch, (laughs) because it's a long one. (laughs) Carry us all the way so far. Uh, Still gonna keep going too. 
He says he might be retired after he Rise of Skywalker. Says. He says. He doesn't get nominated in the 2020 Oscars. We'll see how things go. So stay tuned. John Williams Oscar Watch right here on Oscar Worthy Podcast. Yeah. All right. He does not get nominated for Best Original Music Score. Uh, that goes to Elmer Bernstein for Thoroughly Modern Millie, beating out Quincy Jones, who does not get nominated for In the Heat of the Night, which I love this score. I don't know mm. about you. Yeah. Uh, but instead, he wins for In Cold Blood. Oh. Best song, very inexplicably, goes to Talk to the Animals. Just bullshit. <laughs> what a uh. shitty song. <laughs> it beat the bare necessities. And Ew. That's yeah, not even the, the best song from the Jungle Book. <laughs> no, but it's the best song in that category. I think uh, Look of Love from the uh, the David Niven Casino Royale, maybe yeah. the second one for me. Um, you know who did a really good cover of that song? Smash Mouth. Oh. Who was it that did it in the live action? Was it, uh, it was uh, Christopher Walken, wasn't it? Yeah, Christopher Walken. He, which he played which I enjoyed. So, so he went from Louis Prima to Christopher Walken. <laughs> what a weird transition. Mm. Uh, best costume design goes to Camelot. I have to press the Pramalot. <laughs> best art direction goes to Camelot. Damn. Also, I want to point out, since I've just done these two and forgot to bring up the note... Uh, our costume design, art direction, and cinematography are all one category for the first time. It is not separate color and black and white. Hmm. Fair enough. Symbolic ending of segregation. I don't know. I like it. No, I like that. that <laughs> it, we're, we're giving the Academy way too much credit saying that, but it, yeah. makes, oh, sure. it, it makes my heart skip a beat thinking that that might be the case. All right. Uh, God damn it, head. If you nominate a movie, it don't matter if it's black or white. Best cinematography goes to Bonnie and Clyde. Mm. Best sound goes to In the Heat of the Night. Best sound effects goes to The Dirty Dozen beating out In the Heat of the Night. All right, we need to talk about something real quick. (laughs) I don't know if I want to save it for now or for later when we actually talk about the movie itself. You know what? I'm going to save it for the movie. Okay, sounds good. Okay, put a pin in that. Uh, best film editing goes to In the Heat of the Night, and best special visual effects, for some reason, goes to Doctor Doolittle. Tobrook, Tobrook. I don't know. Tobrook. Tobrook. Um, the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award goes to the wonderful Gregory Peck. Hey. Uh, the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award goes to Alfred Hitchcock. Hooray! Who uh, does not win a competitive Oscar in his lifetime, but does get a Best Picture. Well, he doesn't receive the Academy Award. Right. One Best Picture win uh, for a film he directed and the Serving G. Thalberg Award. There we go. Ooh. So, congratulations, Al. Uh, and our honorary Oscar, our single honorary Oscar for the evening goes to Arthur Freed. It was presented for distinguished service to the Academy and the production of six top-rated awards telecast. All right. Very nice. Uh, and this was the only year in which two films, Bonnie and Clyde and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, received nominations in all four acting categories. And, uh, and that's 
Oh, and this is the last time the Oscars broadcast by network radio in the U.S. The ABC radio network had just split into four separate services, uh, and they would no longer be broadcasting the Oscars. Well, then. That's it. That's what I got. All right. Well, let's talk about this movie. Let's talk about this movie. Okay. So this was a good movie. Yeah. 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 Uh, it starts out with that great Ray Charles song that, for some reason, doesn't get nominated for best song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just a cop movie though that had right. some deeper things in it, but it was just a cop movie. Like it was just a murder mystery, basically. Yeah, um, yeah, essentially. But I mean, it's the same thing with like Mississippi Burning later on down the road. Where mm-hmm. okay, you know, sure, you get the murder, and the murder facilitates a lot of what the story is about because of course, Sidney Poitier is picked up at a train station while he is waiting for a train doing nothing but waiting for a train because he is immediately just the burger suspect. Yes. Yeah. For no other reason than just waiting at a train station. Exactly. So, you know, it, it, the murder is the inciting incident and uh, your, your lead character is brought into the story because of his relationship to the racist town and how they just immediately assume if a black man is out in the middle of that, in the middle of the evening, the night, in the heat of the night, that uh, he's just immediately a suspect for any kind of crime. Yep. Yeah. So I don't want to like go straight towards something that I would have changed to improve the movie and made it more than what it was, but there's a scene, um, you know, like, 10 or 15 minutes before the movie's over where they're in um, police chief's house. And I think if we'd had like five or 10 minutes more of that scene Mm -hmm. where they kind of get more into their, the crux of their characters, I think that maybe would have set some of the cop stuff back a little bit. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I do think, um, Obviously, the the race part of it takes uh, center stage, and it's something that they really did well in adapting to the TV show, but I'm not going to talk about the TV show much because that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> um, there's a thing that important but also frustrating with the trilogy of movies that Sidney Poitier did this year that came out with this, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and To Stir With Love, yep. which I haven't watched yet, but I will. Thank you, Paul. But I know they all they all have him being patient and firm in the face of all these prejudiced people that are just throwing shit at him. And, and it's so symbolic of the whole civil rights movement, especially Martin Luther King Jr. I'll just say this about that. It's, it's a real shame that he's the only one that got to do this this year. Cause yeah, it's like, Oh, well, I guess we trust Sidney Poitier. So he's got to take all of the, the burden of being the one black guy in every yeah. movie. And yeah, <laughs> you know, again, we're not talking about, Guess he's coming to dinner, but there, there's a lot of parallels between that and this movie where he's, I don't want to say the magic Negro. No, he's not the magic Negro, but he's just so he, he's a little bit in this movie. He's perfect in so many ways. And, and it's, it kind of the whole thing, the little wink and the nod at the end of the movie is it's his job to make the white people feel comfortable. And we're still, all through time we're going to he has to be exceptional in every way he has to you know prove that he's he's needed and to make them feel comfortable and for better or worse that's the way it's shown yeah and 
and you know you you get the shorthand of him being a police officer and a very good police officer on top of that so that the white audiences are are, are immediately supposed to to trust him oh well i mean he's a police officer and that's kind of juxtaposed to our thinking but it, we trust the police right mm. <laughs> yeah I'm not saying we. It's oh no, 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 no! The audience, yeah, the, the royal. I, I don't want anybody to, <laughs> you know, to mistake that. Um, so yeah, um, and you know, and, and it's the same thing. And like you said, guess who's coming to dinner? He's a doctor. Yeah, uh, like a world famous doctor who's yeah. flying all <laughs> over and solving problems, working with the World Health Organization. <laughs> um, but yeah, it. And it's a good performance. Uh, he's so he's so steady and so good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's hard to find any fault in anything he's doing because the biggest problem with films like this is now in 2021 they seem a little antiquated and whatnot. But this is what a civil rights film needed to be in 1967 if you're yeah. going to sell it to a wide audience. Unfortunately, it's yeah. a lot of what they apparently need to be now because Green Book wins Best Picture. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, you know, even if it is a cop movie, it's not not very cop glorifying because they're a bunch of bumbling idiots. <laughs> and he, sure. He's right. the only competent one. Um, yeah, there was. Was there? I mean, other than the chief and uh, Sidney Poitier, really, was there was there any other like competent cop in that entire movie? No. And, no. and most of them are just shitty people who yeah are getting away doing the bare minimum like those two brothers that work <laughs> the desk that are always like shifting the blame to each other oh you didn't talk to me you talked to my brother he's on the night shift <laughs> nobody <laughs> tells me nothing yeah <laughs> um no so like so i kind of wanted to watch this movie in two separate ways as a cop movie and as a kind of like you know, the it wasn't underlying at all, but what it was trying to do when it came to the race topic. Um, as a cop movie, it was meh. Like it was like I knew who who was the bad guy from the beginning. Yeah, they, like it, that that guy. Yeah, is unsettling the moment <laughs> you see him hiding pie under a counter. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I, I want to kind of bring attention to uh, one specific scene which was the car chase scene, mm -hmm. which was pretty bad for a couple of reasons. One, the most action you got out of it, and this is not an action-oriented movie, right? but I felt like the bumping of the trailer was the most action you got out of it, really, <laughs> where it just kind of like tapped it a little bit out of the way. <laughs> and I was like, that's kind of funny, if yeah. anything else. Also, it... And then now I want to kind of go back to that sound thing. There was a lot of like tire screeching mm -hmm. um, <laughs> on a dirt road. It's fair. <laughs> I like, hear what you're saying. <laughs> every turn, what, there was like this screech. And I'm like, like when they made those sharp turns, like under that bridge, I'm like, there's, there, there's nothing there for it to be screeching on. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> and it just, it sounded silly to me. <laughs> I, I think the yeah. problem is when you're a director who grew up with like 40s gangster pictures and there's so much tire screeching in there, you're just like, ooh, I want to make a 40s gangster no, chase. I think <laughs> they just grab some like 
old Foley work from another movie and was just like also plugged it in. Yeah, also a great possibility. Yeah, so I, I just it it, it just kind of came off so silly to me. But I mean, that's kind of nitpicky. But at the same time, I don't know. It just kind of pulled me out of, it. especially because it was like a really tense scene too. When you, get, especially when they get to that like warehouse where you're just like, you know, this dude's got a fucking chain. The other guy's got a bar. Like some shit might go fucking down. Um, but that was really the only I think action scene in the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, and it's it's just there for the tension. And yeah, honestly, it it I think it's effectively tense if if you look at it for what it's supposed to be. Uh, and it immediately like brought to mind the the Sundowner County from uh, Lovecraft Country. Mm. To watch that, yeah, oh god! Too, so, so like the first episode, the the main characters find themselves in the sundown town where if you're black and you're caught outside after sundown, you're just immediately committing yeah. a crime, mm. and they have this car chase where it's a lot like this car chase where it's real it it's real more about the stakes of what you know is happening in the story rather than the car chase itself where they're mm-hmm. trying to get out of this town before sundown and this cop is just following them yeah fair enough it's it and it made me it made me think of that a lot there's a scene um that i filmed while i was watching it that i always think of um and i posted on my facebook towards the end of the movie where he's figured out the crime and he's about to pull the big reveal and all these honkies pull up on him and they've got their Confederate flag, uh, um, license plate on the front and they're, you know, like stars and bars on trimmed on their vehicles. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, look at this movie that was made in 1967. Mm-hmm. These people are clearly using it for its intended purpose back then, but you still want to say heritage, not hate, you know, and I just watched John Singleton's Rosewood. Oh, which is incredible. Uh, see that movie. Uh, and, and it was the same thing where the film takes place in like the 1920s. And uh, John Singleton fills all these terrorist white men uh, in their clan robes, pulling up uh, it to, to posse up with just Confederate flags all over the place. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's <laughs> what it was used for. Yeah. Especially in those eras. Yeah. But, you know, to Johnson's point, it's a good movie, but it is mostly a cop movie. The mystery is not super good. Uh, there, There's not a ton of figuring out the details under the, other than Sidney Poitier being magical and just solving everything on his own really quick. Yeah, <laughs> man, I, it, it was such a stretch with him and the whole like tying it all together for me. Like, it's like, all right, you just heard about a 16-year-old girl who got pregnant. Oh, I know why now. Like, I know who roughly did it. Like, fucking really? Mm. Yeah, it's a stretch. I mean, I can see your connection, but no. Yeah, uh, yeah and, and I guess I don't mind that so much because it's less about what the mystery is and more about the obstruction. Yeah. Where, uh, kind of in the vein of... To kill a mockingbird where secrets are always out in the open and people know where things are and who does what, but nobody yeah. nobody's going to give in to the fact that this black man has come and is obviously smarter than everyone. They're not gonna let him rise above where they think he belongs. Yeah. Sure. And so it 
for me, the, the story's never particularly been about the mystery, but rather how in the face of uh, true justice, they would rather either hang a black man for it yeah. or uh, pull in the, the one thief who obviously is like one of the poorer people in this County. Yeah. Like they're the two of them get along later on in the film because they're kind of on the same track. It's like, yeah. look, I I'm a well-to-do black man. You're a poor white man. I'm like just below you still on the totem, but we're still very close. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there is not a whole lot to talk about the movie as far as like, it's got some decent, cinematography like uh, some of the opening shots are interesting using the lighting and the way they're filmed and mm -hmm. yep um uh so this is the first film that was ever uh the cinematographer uh so i apologize i forgot the cinematographer's name and i'm i want to keep moving with the podcast so i'm not going to look it up at the moment but uh imdb is available um the cinematographer specifically lit this film with sydney poitier's complexion in mind oh Okay. Like most black people in film just look flat or glossy before this because films aren't lit with black people in mind. Very good. I did notice he was particularly handsome. So true. Well Indeed. done. Indeed. Yeah. Um, um, I will say it was, it was kind of refreshing to get a, uh, it's been a while. I feel like been a while. God damn it. Just, just God damn it. <laughs> you really stained that moment. <laughs> quitting the podcast now <laughs> that's been fun um it's 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 been a while since we've gotten a mm. <laughs> so you mouth it you son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> okay go on I'll, i won't do it again i won't do it again i promise i feel like it's been some time since we've gotten a movie that's modern of its time like Mm -hmm. we we haven't gotten anything like that and this one actually was like the first movie that felt like a more recent picture or at the very least have that uh that setting you know why that is why we've is entered that? new hollywood oh have we this is the new hollywood era uh bonnie and clyde is often referred to as the first real film of new hollywood mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well look at that good job go yeah. on job noticing and good job yeah. providing the context yeah, no, I just it, it was refreshing, and I like that because now we're getting into like the movies that I that I can enjoy that aren't old, even <laughs> though this one is still a uh, you know fifty year old movie. I'll say something about Rod Steiger. I don't, I mean, I don't know that he should have won Best Actor. He was really good in it though, especially after watching Doctor Zhivago, where he played a, a Russian dude, and just the the switch. Um, between that dynamic and this, just a couple years later, he totally embodied a Mississippi police officer. So. I just spent the entire time just freaking out about the glasses being sideways because the uh, way his head was shaped. It just bugged the shit out of me the entire movie. I was a big fan of his overly aggressive gum chewing. Oh my god! <laughs> just that first scene where they're standing over the body, he's just like... Mouth wide like, open. <laughs> When he's chasing the thief guy, or chasing, like he's sauntering with a freaking car. 
And you get about a, this good, like, 15 to 20 seconds of him moving at about the speed of smell, but chewing faster than he is driving. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the lip smacking and the chewing itself, and I was like, can we, can we stop now, <laughs> please? <laughs> Just, apparently, he did not want to chew gum, but Norman Jewish was like, chew gum. It'll be great. And they went through over like 200 packs of gum. All <laughs> That's a fun note. It was. I was so happy I found that note because I, I found it long after I had sent the, the message to the group about his gum chewing. I just like when it came to the characters themselves, none of them really stood out for me outside of uh, uh, Mr. Tibbs. But oh, me, Mr. Tibbs. Uh, I, I just. You know, like like you said, Rod Steiger was okay. He was good. You know, he gave a good performance. I just it it definitely felt more like one of those. Uh, man, you've been doing some good work for a long time. Let's give you an Oscar for this. Sure. Because yeah. uh, what's what's this category look like this year? Beatty, Hoffman, Newman. Oh, Newman. Ben Newman. <laughs> yeah. I'm, Jeez, those are three amazing performances. Yeah, he's probably the weakest in the five of these categories. Yeah. The five. Uh, Tracy, I think, already has an Academy Award, so I'm not too sad he doesn't lose even, you know, even that posthumous. And he's so good in that movie. He is. You know? um, but Newman, Hoffman, and Beatty are incredible. It's it's a real shame that Steiger's in this category and Poitier's not. Yeah. Poitier. Poitier put in three amazing performances this year and doesn't get nominated for a single one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Just not right. All right. Well, uh, any other notes, gentlemen? No. Um, I, I think it's a good film. I like it a lot. Yeah. I think I just got a couple more comments we'll have here in, in the questions, but yeah, sure. uh, it's, it's solid. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a good description of this movie is that it is solid. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll buy that for a dollar. Yeah. All right. Well, Paul, is this one uh, in the library? This is. Oh. Would you two like to give me a year? Zach, you go first this time. I'm feeling 94. I'm going to go 99. Jonathan, you are closest without going over. Nice. 2002. Okay. okay. Which I think is a very respectable year for this film to go in. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Okay. Uh, What's less respectable is guess who's coming to dinner going into 2017. Oh oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Zach, what what year did you say? 94. Okay. Uh, I don't have anything going in, in 94 or 90, 99 in this year, Hmm. but our first film on the list or in alphabetical order to go in is uh, Bonnie and Clyde in 1992. Okay. Uh, The first film of 1967 to go in uh, is a a narrative feature called David Holzman's diary, which went in 1991. Okay. Uh, Along with these, we have cool hand Luke. Don't look back a small short subject student film that some of us may have heard of named electronic labyrinth THX one, one, three, eight, four EB. Yay. <laughs> uh, we have the graduate going into 96. Uh, so Bonnie and Clyde and the graduate both nominated against this film go in before it. Mm-hmm. 
uh, guess who's coming to dinner in cold blood, the heat of the night, the jungle, a short subject point blank portrait of Jason a documentary, the producers, which I have a note on in a second. Give me a moment. And our final film is uh, they call it pro football, which is a documentary. So nice. So the, so the producers, the studio didn't think was going to do very well. So they released it in one city in 1967. And hold on, let me let me get these notes up because I feel like this is a fun little story and I forgot one of the names. Um, okay, so November 22nd, 1967, this is released in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and the studio said that they were not going to release it at all. Hmm. Uh, and then uh, the uh, inspector Clouseau himself, Peter Sellers, saw the film and put an advertisement in Variety saying the studio needs to release this film and you all want to see it. Nice. So the producers, technically a film from 1967, gets its wide release in 1968. Hmm. We will get back to that in 1968. That is a promise. Okay. Baby. So the Jungle Book isn't in. Is that or no Jungle Book, huh? That is what I'm seeing. And that was Disney's last uh, film that he approved and went over that he supervised. Mm. Yeah. Damn. Interesting little tidbit on 1967. Okay. The Graduate was the highest grossing movie. Guess who's coming to dinner was number two. Do you want to guess the difference between those two? I'm going to go $3 million. Okay. That, Five. You guess? Five million? Okay. Guess who's coming to dinner at number two? Came in at $25.5 million. The Graduate came in at $43.1 million. Christ. <laughs> wow. <What> the fuck? <laughs> Must have been that soundtrack. Oh, the soundtrack's so good. <laughs> if my wife were on this episode, she'd be talking about Simon and Garfunkel like... <laughs> They were the second coming of Jesus. 20 million difference, basically. That yeah, is... that's that's wild. Hmm. Oh, the graduate's so good. How did... <laughs> uh, I guess I'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. All right. So with that, let's get into our worsty judgments. Zach, does this movie deserve Best Picture? Does it deserve? Does it deserve? Deserve being the word. Um, deserve, deserve, deserve is the word. <laughs> uh, it's hard to say that it's a bad pick because it's a good movie and it's an important movie. More than more than being a great movie, it, it's important. But I think I think up against Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, I'd probably go with Guess Who's Coming to Dinner over this. And then of course you've got The Graduate and Bonnie and Clyde. You know, I've watched Bonnie and Clyde twice over the years. I didn't get a chance to watch it this week, but I need to watch it again because I remember liking it, but not loving it as much as I thought I would. It's surprising to me. The Graduate is also one that I watched originally in high school and I didn't get it, I think. Then I watched it again and I got it a bit more. And I think I need one more watch to fully get it. <laughs> I, I think at this stage of your life, you're you're going to be right there on it. It's... I think part of the problem was I watched it with Caitlin in my early 20s, and it may have not been a good kind of date, <laughs> date movie. 
<laughs> um, uh, I think they definitely there were definitely some movies that should have been nominated other than Doctor Doolittle. I can't believe that was in there. Um, oh, I got notes. <laughs> I got. I've got to say again. I mentioned it last week, but the good, the bad, and the ugly gets American release, and you know. There's so many westerns I know, but it's such a revolutionary film. The way it's made, it at least should have got like cinematography and directing uh, nominations, and I can't believe it didn't. Right. Um. No. No soundtrack nomination. <laughs> that's, that's insane. Yeah. And also, I think what Battle of Algiers was nominated for like three. If, yeah. If, oh, if, yeah. Kick out Doctor Doolittle and put in like the. Mostly watch trains or something. The one that won best foreign picture. Um, anyway, also could have put in cold blood or cool hand look Luke in there, but you know, I know by reputation, um, even though it's not quite clicking to me, the graduate is the, the movie of the year that probably should have won, but considering the civil rights movement and we got this movie and, um, guess who's coming to dinner. I think one of those did deserve. So I'm okay with this winning, even if it's not the best, actual film in the pack and i I don't you know that's that's what i long-winded way to say okay sure it deserves it (laughs) fair enough and i'm i'm kind of with you up until the comparisons where i just think that there were better movies including guess who's coming to dinner yeah um i feel like if i was going to pick one of those two i think guess who's coming to dinner would definitely be a better pick um Also, this year is fucking stacked. It is. So it's kind of putting putting this movie as just a film next to a lot of those makes me kind of go, yeah. what are your parameters for these nominations at this point? Like, are you looking at these as film? Are you looking at what these films are doing? Like, it's just kind of like I've seen some previous picks where I go, you obviously don't fucking care. Right. You're you're basing them off the film itself, but maybe this is kind of like one of those. Okay, we need to show every now and again that we do. Yeah, so, the, the Academy has a weird ranked voting system that would put like if a lot of people put this in second place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then it could get pushed to the top because of just the point system on it. Like it's 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 bizarre. Fair enough. So, um, so I just. And, and it sucks to say, but I, I say no. It doesn't deserve Best Picture. I, I just, yeah, yeah. like I said, it's Nothing such a stacked that year yeah. that I just feel like there was just better films and better movies just, just than yeah. this movie. It was a good movie, but it just wasn't phenomenal. I, I understand that completely. Yeah. So, Paul. All right. My rankings. Last place, with, without a shadow of a doubt, is Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> <laughs> I... I had never seen Dr. Doolittle before and I watched it's two and a half hours long. Oh God. I watched an hour and a half of it. And I was just like, I can't, I'm done. Well, have you seen the last scene before? Does he pull, um, armor out of a dragon's ass? Close. He has a seal wrapped in a wedding dress. He kisses it and throws it into the ocean. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a scene that happens before the intermission. Oh, is it? I, I, yeah, I watched oh. that scene. I watched it titled end of the movie. So uh, my mistake. Okay. Well, you saw that. Well, whatever version (laughs) I just watched had it like dead center in the middle of the movie. Okay. Not the end. There was still another hour after he got put on trial for that shit. Okay. 
oh my god that movie is unbearable all the songs are terrible <laughs> rex harrison looks like he is just resting completely on his uh his my fair lady laurels it is not a good movie mm. it gets nominated for best picture are you ready for this note of course mm. i'm just gonna read this verbatim because i i think everybody needs to hear this 20th century fox just Fox's decision to mount an Oscar campaign for the film came partially due to their lackluster holiday slate. While a commercial success, Valley of the Dolls had received less than stellar critical reception. As a result, in January and February 1968, Fox booked 16 consecutive nights of free screenings of Dr. Doolittle provided with <laughs> dinner and champagne to Academy members on the studio lot. Wow. Good Lord. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, wow. Yes. What are we doing? In a year, as the two of you have discussed so far, that is this fucking stacked to just be like, oh, yeah, I mean, we got some cheese and wine, and uh, <laughs> I guess we'll vote for that movie. No. God, it is an unbearable film. And the fact that there are two remakes and one of them is any good and spawned like seven sequels and 12 of those went straight to video. <laughs> That's math. Um, is, is wild to me. There's, there's no excuse for this. Uh, oh boy. I don't even know how to rank these three. They're all so good. I guess I'm going, guess who's coming to dinner uh, in the four spot. And I'm, I'm telling you like, it's in the four spot, but because it's like an A minus instead of an A, it, and and I mostly give it an A minus because Spencer Tracy gets like the big monologue at the end. Where, yeah, uh, that's that's a little yeah cr cringy today, but it, he's so good at it that I don't hate it completely. <laughs> yeah, it's another one of those things where it's like, okay, we're trying to appeal to the white audience. Uh, let him have the moment, I guess. And, and a sturdy hand like Spencer Tracy, who's been in front of the screen for the last like 30 years. Yeah. You know, giving that monologue again, much like in the heat of the night, it is the film. It needed to be in the time it was made. Right. It's a little hard to watch some of the stuff today, especially the whole subplot with the maid is not right. my favorite. Right. Um, but everybody's so good and across the board. That is an incredible cast. And I like, I like this movie a whole lot. Like I said, it goes like A minus instead of A. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde would be the next one of these four that I would rank because I, I, I love that film. I think it's beautiful and Beatty and Faye Dunaway are just perfect together. And um, uh, Gene Hackman in that film is, oh, he's <laughs> so good in that movie. I love that film a lot. Yeah. Um, can't wait to talk more about Gene Hackman in a couple of years. Uh, and then the graduate, the graduate is so close to perfect. It's, it's amazing that the film is just that good. Mike Nichols is an incredible director. Uh, that being said, uh, in cold blood is great. Wait until dark is very unheralded in this year. Audrey Hepburn gets nominated for best actress, oh. but, uh, it is my favorite Audrey Hepburn film. She is so good in it. Uh, of course, today there'd be a, a lot of uproar, as most likely should be, that Audrey Hepburn is playing a blind woman and she is not blind herself. So, you know, that kind of ableist casting doesn't fly today, but she's so good in it. Uh, 
yeah and cool hand luke oh my god this is such a good year dirty dozen such a great film <laughs> barefoot in the park is great i i just love these of neil simon uh i don't know how much more i should go on but well, make it up a, for lack of movies last year i think yeah last year was such a uh, such a disappointment that dr doolittle almost wrecks this year of academy awards for me just by <laughs> yeah. being in any category let alone winning two of them uh is including best song why did it win <laughs> best song <laughs> must have been some uh, really good cheese but all that being said i think in the heat of the night is a really good film i think it's i think it hits the tension it hits well it's really well acted it's really well shot norman jewison is an incredible director the script is is pretty on point uh, it doesn't really hold up too much in today's standards, but Sidney Poitier just slaps the piss out of some dude, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is, which apparently he said he would only do this movie if that scene played in every market that they put it in. Oh. So, so Sidney Poitier goes and says, this thing needs to stay in this script and, and it needs to get seen by literally everybody who sees this movie. And it does. And it exists today. And watching Sidney Poitier just slap racists around like, like they should be slapped around. Always punch Nazis. Uh, punch Nazis for that. For that alone, I'm saying yes. But I also think it's a really good movie. So I'm also saying yes. I think this it deserves Best Picture. Are there films I like more than it? Yes. But that being said, I think this is a great film. Yeah. All right. Well, Zach. Is this the worst best picture? Nah. It's uh got some of the worst types of people we've seen in pictures. Cotton plantation owners. Gah. <laughs> uh, slap though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was it a real slap? Because that man oh, looked yeah. like he really got slapped. Yeah, the both apparently the both of them, like uh the the cotton plantation owner, the actor practiced slapping Norman Jewison. <laughs> so that his slaps would look more authentic. And yeah, they apparently just slap the piss out of each other. And <laughs> God damn it. So good. <laughs> nice. Yeah, this is, I haven't ranked it yet, but it's probably middle of the pack for me. I mean, it's not one of my favorites, but um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it as a movie. So it's fair. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at too. I mean, no, it's not the worst best picture at all. Middle of the pack. Probably on the lower end um, for me. Just, because, like I said, I tried to watch it in two different ways, and just I, I, I enjoy my cop movies, and I, I feel like fifty years of cop movies might have ruined. Like, if I think if I saw this without fifty years of cop movies, yeah, yeah, this might have been a lot better. Yeah, especially one that's influential, as influential as this one is, that spawned a TV series that spawned a lot of TV series. <laughs> yeah, <and> it's winning. <laughs> so. Yeah, I like I said, definitely not the worst. <laughs> Absolutely not. But yeah, middle middle of the pack. Paul, um, I do not think this is the worst. I think this is a very good movie, and it is currently sitting at my number ten. Wow. Okay. okay. And wow. Uh, uh, Cindy Portier slaps the piss out of a cotton plantation <laughs> owner. It is incredible. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. I am not faulting you for it, sir, at all. Um. It is sitting right under All Quiet on the Western Front and right above Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. Okay. Which I still think is just 
so incredible. Yeah. Uh, but it makes me sad because My Fair Lady just keeps slipping down the list for me, and I know it's only going lower. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm just, gonna, of course, going to point out, again, because uh, the Academy's a bunch of jerks with not looking at foreign films enough, that Son of Godzilla was slept on again. So. Yep. You, can't, you can't be sleeping on Son of Godzilla. Oh, Son of Godzilla. Oh, Art, the artwork in the Criterion pack is incredible for that film. Nice. All right. So we're we going to go ahead and call it here. Oh, go over uh, some sorry, quick, like? A quick shout out to a, a short film from 1967 called The Big Shave from okay. one uh, Martin Scorsese. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think okay. I have that. I think I have that on the Scorsese short uh, Criterion disc. Yeah. Nice. All right. So we're going to go ahead and call that here. My name is Jonathan Pierce. You can find me on Twitter, Twitch, and TikTok. At Altorn underscore Occam. Zach, where can we find you? Find me on Critiker at Zachmaster, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R, or on TikTok at House Havoc. Oh. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Letterboxd, where I keep a running tally of all the films I've watched and a ranked list of all the best pictures that I've watched at Father of the Fear, across all platforms, and here is some amazing Son of Godzilla artwork. It's so creepy. He's so creepy. I love him <laughs> so much. If you follow me on uh, one of those platforms, I'm sure I'll, I'll post it on one of those when I listen to this episode yeah. again and think about it. Yeah. And what are we watching next week? Jonathan. <gasps> what? <laughs> next week, we're going back to my childhood. And we're watching three movies. Three, three, Count three them. movies, baby. We're Why watching. Are we doing this because I haven't seen them since I was a kid, okay, and I've well. refused to watch them until now. But why are we doing this episode? It'll be my birthday. And your birthday. And my birthday. Happy birthday to you, then. Yeah. So we are going to watch Crawl and Masters of the Universe. Both of those you can find on Pluto and other subscription services, but Pluto is the one where you can watch for free. And Flight of the Navigator, which you can watch on Disney Plus and oh, other subscription yeah. services. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. I mean, too. I'm scared, honestly. <laughs> I like. I'm literally trying not to ruin my childhood, but I felt like it's time. Two, two out I of figured, three of those. I actually, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll comment that next time. Never mind. I was say, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. So now I'm going to do this thing where we would like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Leveling Up with Benjamin. Thanks for producing our show. We would like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We'd like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Oscar Pod and on Facebook at The Oscar Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It really helps us to be seen in the almighty rhythm of Al Gore. The rhythm of Al Gore. Can you feel it in the night? The heat for Jonathan, Zach, and Mr. Tibbs. I would like for you all to have a damn fine day.